0: Go ahead and pull your notes out, because let's, let's, let's start this, because I, I want you to see something that's very important. We're going to talk about this problem with um, rebellion. And rebellion is a response, an, un, an improper response to authority, okay? And uh, we deal with authority every day. I mean, all day long, every day. Let me ask you a question. When you deal with authority, how does that work for you? I, I've already shared with, with you the, uh, the basketball game yesterday. Um, the, uh, the, the, the authorities, the referees, didn't know what they were doing, in my personal opinion, although they really did. I, I just didn't like the call and didn't like the way it was going. A few years ago, I attended the, uh, that infamous infill fly rule. Uh, baseball game, playoff game that the, that the Braves were in. And uh, everybody went berserk, and they were throwing things on the field. We didn't. We didn't throw anything on their field, okay? So we were, we were well-behaved. But still now, years later, we were talking about it because in a recent uh, Braves game that was the uh, playoff game, the guy who made that infamous call was the crew chief. Uh, and so we all had opinions uh, about that. <clears throat> and, uh, but I share that with you because I want you to get this. We all have a problem with authority. The bottom line, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. Now, we will permit some folks to tell us what to do, but for the most part, we just don't like it. It kind of, it kind of ruffles our feathers, to, especially when, when it's somebody we think, well, who do you think you are anyway? You know, and, and, and we sometimes we'd even pull that thing. I'm smarter than you. I'm better looking than you. I'm bigger than you and all this stuff that we can come up with. And, and that really has nothing to do with it. God has instituted authorities among men. And if we did not have them, we would be in one major mess. Now, pull that in closer. If I did not have Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, I would be in a worse mess than I already am. And that's true of all of us. So let's jump on this, and we're going to look at this account of of Korah's rebellion. And it seems kind of like it would be a random thing, but it's not. It's part of God's plan to reveal to us what's going on. So turn with me, please, uh, in your notes up on the screen or in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. I'm going to be reading verses 28 through 35. Stand with me, please, out of honor and respect for God's Word. Now, let me tell you what's what's going on here. Uh, Korah is a Levite important. May not be important now, but it'll be important in a few minutes. Korah is a Levite and he was rebelling and leading a rebellion against Moses and Moses was God's authority. Okay, think of it this way. God was seeking someone to lead three, over three million people God was seeking someone to leave over 3 million people out of bondage in Egypt and then to travel from there to the promised land and then enter in. God chose Moses. Now, if it had been me, I would have done just like Moses. Choose somebody else. I ain't your man. I mean, this is bigger than I can even think about taking on. And and Moses tried to get out of it, but God chose him anyway. And finally he stepped up to the plate with a little help. Uh, And and so we see Korah rebelling. And now Moses is going to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet down here and you bring 250 censers with you with fire in it. And we're going to." let God decide. Now, there's a clue there. They should have figured something out right there if God, if he was telling 250 Levites to bring censers with fire burning in them. They should have already already clued into that. So here we go. Numbers 16, verse 28. And Moses said, by this, he said, "Let's, let's have this little showdown here. By this, you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them on my own will. He said, this wasn't my idea. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But... If the Lord creates a new thing and opens the earth, uh, the earth opens his mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. In other words, he's saying they haven't rejected me, they've rejected the Lord because he is the supreme authority. I get my authority from him. Verse 31, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart from under them and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them up with, with their households and all the men with Korah. Uh, With all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled out at, at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out of heaven and consumed the two hundred and fifty, uh, the, the other 250 men who were offering incense. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, in your notes, follow along with me, please. This is extremely important. Because if you need to be convicted today, it is my desire that you be convicted, not by me, but by the Spirit of God, and by His Word. Now, if you are lost, it's not conviction necessarily. It is grief over the condition that you're in. Here's what I want us to think about. We're standing in front of a full-length mirror. And the mirror is God's Word. And God's Word is going to reveal to us things that are going on in our life that we need to deal with either by conviction that results in repentance and obedience or in salvation. So let's see where it takes us. At the core, sin is an issue of pride. It says, I will, not, I will do what I want the way I want, and no one will tell me what to do. Now, folks, you may not know of anybody that's quite that stupid, strong in saying it, but that is the issue that we deal with. We just don't want anybody telling us what to do. Years ago, I got pulled over by North Carolina uh, State Patrol, and uh, he walked up to the car, and I think, I think I was going sixty, about 61 or 62, and it was 55. And he walked up, and he said, uh, can I see your driver's license? And I said, well, what was I doing wrong? He said, you were speeding. I said, I was only going just about 60. He said, if you'd been going 56, you would have been speeding. Hmm. hmm. Was he right? Okay. All right. And of course none of us do that. None of us play that little game like my, my youngest son tells us that that you can go ten miles over and they won't stop you unless you're going past that. Okay? But but what I just and that was a long time ago. They may have changed that now. But um, but but again, it has nothing to do with getting caught. It has to do with whether we are obeying the authority over us. Now, uh, pride is the rejection of authority. Pride is the rejection of authority. Chain of command. God is the supreme authority. He has instituted among men other authorities, and let's look at a few of those. All legitimate authority comes from the authority that is God. Let's take it for a moment. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. You say, preacher, I'm too old for that. You're never too old for that. In fact, I can help you out with it if you're really young. Go ahead and show them honor and respect. And when you get a little bit older, there won't be those issues of rebellion that are already there. Hello. You see, if you go ahead and convey to them, God has placed you in authority over me. One of my first lessons in life to learn is to obey and honor mom and dad because I'm going to be honoring and obeying authority for the rest of my life. Is that true or not? Of course it is. And one of the major issues we have is we just don't like it. And you know what that's an indicator of? Our sin problem. Submit to governing authorities, we read in Romans 13, 1. said, what if I don't like the government? Too bad. Uh, It is still the government under which you are to be submissive and respectful. What if, what if there was no governing authority? What if we went to the basketball game and there were no referees? You said, it'd be better. No, it wouldn't be better. It'd be absolutely chaos and murder and all sorts of terrible things would go on. And before long, all the fans in the stand would be down there also. And it would just be chaos. We keep thinking we don't want all this stuff. We have to have it because it is the way we are. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments, to bring us under His authority and under His control and under His lordship. Then there's the authority in the church expressed in Hebrews 13, 7. We deal with authority all the time. Ephesians, we read about slaves and masters. I could also be equated today to employers and employees, that we have this line of authority that is in place, even if we don't like it it. We need to adjust ourselves. So let's look at Koran's rebellion and how it originated. It originated with a discontentment. Korah was discontent. He was a Levite and he became angry and he started questioning Moses. And, and he said, basically you can read it there in in 16 verse three. He, here's what he was saying. He said, who do you think you are? We're all children of God. And we don't just need one leader. I can be my own leader. You can be your own leader. You can be your own leader. You can be own leader. Folks, that's, that's insanity. That is crazy. They needed one leader to follow as they were traveling out of Egypt and toward the promised land. They needed to submit to one leader. So what was the real problem? The real problem is that Korah was a Levite who wanted to be a priest. All right? That was the real issue. He wants, look at at what it says. uh, uh, This is Moses addressing the real issue in chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. Is it a small thing to you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to him to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him? What is he saying? You're a Levite. God has given you the opportunity to set up and take down and deal with the furnishings of 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 the tabernacle. And if you'd get busy doing that, you wouldn't have time to get yourself in trouble. Then he goes on, verse 10. This is Moses speaking to him. He said, And that he has brought you near to him, and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you, are you seeking the priesthood also? He said, are you not content with being a Levite? Hey, can I ask you something? Will you learn to be content where you are, but yet live still with some degree of being uh, desiring to improve and become more proficient? But it doesn't mean that we can always be griping and complaining with, who does this person think they are? I'm better than that. I deserve more than this. No, we need to say, God, thank you for the plot and the lot you've given me in life. We had one of those big family gatherings yesterday, and, 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 I, and I love them. They're, they're so rich. They're so wonderful. Uh, and uh, and, and we, we, we did watch a game. Moment of silence. But we also rode dirt bikes, and uh, uh, I, I I rode a, drove the little uh, lawnmower and pulled the kids behind me in a in a big big wagon thing. And and they were just laughing and singing and carrying on. It was was a wonderful, wonderful time. This morning I got up, I was getting ready, and I was praying, I was meditating, I was thinking, God, thank you, I am such a blessed man. I pastor the greatest church on the face of the earth. I have the most wonderful wife, I have the most wonderful kids, grandkids. God, thank you. Lord, I am so blessed. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every morning we got up rejoicing and praising the Lord for the blessings that He's given us, instead of complaining about what we don't have, and and what we think we should have, and what we think we deserve, instead of saying, God, I am so incredibly blessed. And I want to become more proficient at you what you want me to do. And you see, Korah didn't have this. He was eat up with jealousy. He he wanted to be a priest, and he was only a Levite. But here's the deal with rebellion. Rebellion, rebellion is almost always a moment that involves others. It goes like this: Misery loves company. Listen, I'm miserable. I hate my life. I am discontent and I would like for you to join me in that so that we can all be miserable together. I mean, I know people like that. It's kind of like they say, listen, I'm trying to make everybody in my life miserable. Why don't we take the other extreme and say, I want to make everybody in my life blessed. I am blessed and I want to encourage other people to look around and notice what's going on in your life. But yet, when you're living in a life of discontentment and misery, the real fact is you want to take a bunch of people with you. I want to take them down with me. And you see, we see that was what's going on here. He recruited 250 other people. And you know how it works? I've told you in the last few weeks we've been dealing with this. It works like, hey, have you thought about this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I haven't thought about it, but I'm miserable about that too. Then, okay, you go recruit some more. And before long, we've gone from one to 250. You see, the bad news travels too. And unfortunately, too many of us are victims or uh, allowing God, allowing the enemy to use us to bring this down. But the problem with this is that we see is that God... Allows our misery and our rebellion to bring about destruction, destruction. Rebellion. We see here it destroyed these two hundred and fifty people. It destroyed Korah and the others and their family members. It, it rebellion wreaks havoc. And remember now, rebellion is our own form of sin in which we don't want ultimately God. If you have a problem with the police, you have a problem with God. If you have a problem with your parents, you have a problem with God. If you have a problem with other people in authority over you, you ultimately have a problem with God. And it is an issue of pride and it is an issue of sin. And it results in problem for God's people, for others, and for self. Now, forgive me for a moment, but I'm going to rant. I'm going to rant. You haven't heard me rant on this in a long time, but I keep getting into it. Brothers and sisters, everybody look at me. As a man of God, as your pastor, I love you. And it is my responsibility to tell you the truth. And I realize when I'm saying this, probably 90% of the people sitting in here that are of age sometimes have a drink. And you say, oh, Lord, we're going down this path again. Yes, we are. And I know that people will look at me and say, well, preacher, don't you know that drinking is not illegal? Not if you're of legal age, it's definitely not. But there's a lot of things in this life that aren't illegal that are still wrong. Okay, let me explain. I meditated on this yesterday, and it had nothing to do with this message, but I figure it's my responsibility to tell you I have two sticks of dynamite in my hand. One's a real thing, one's a dud. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, pick one. Light it and hold it in your hand. Would you do it? No. We didn't rehearse. Now, here's the deal, folks. When you do anything to encourage drinking in other people's lives, you just handed them a stick of dynamite and say, Light it, and I'll pray it's a dud. Now, I communicated with someone this week about this very issue, and I'm going to explain to you why I'm so adamant about it. It's a weak thing to think that I can tell you that you shouldn't drink from Scripture. But it's a very strong thing that I can tell you not to drink because I've lived long enough and I've been a pastor long enough to see too many families, homes, and marriages destroyed. One of the most beautiful people in this church who loved God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, worked with our students, worked with our our, our youth, and worked with our missions. A godly woman who was a flight attendant for Delta Airlines, Shauna Daniels. She was coming home from work on New Year's Eve and was greeted by one who had been drinking too much and he hit her head on and killed her. Well, preacher, that's not a big... It is a big deal. And it causes me, what would it be like We're, Shauna still here. Folks, I can give you—let me ask you this question. How many of you, your family, has been negatively impacted by the abuse of alcohol? Raise your hand. Okay. Folks, right there. Right there. I must tell you, from my experience, it's crazy to me. My mother died of lung cancer at the age of 60. She was a smoker. Somebody finally had the gumption enough in our country to put some kind of warning, at least on the cigarettes. But we take the alcohol thing and we flash it on Facebook and say, Yeah, I'm going to be in church tomorrow and I'm going to be leading worship and I'm going to be doing all these things. Folks, listen, don't do that. You're putting the dynamite in people's hands. You say, Preacher, I can handle my alcohol. Yes, you can because you got the dud. But your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, those folks in your church, they may not get the dud. And they may be the very one that they take the first drink, and the first drink is the first among millions. Hey, I plead with you. I love you too much to remain silent on this issue. That if your family and your life has been impacted by alcohol, that you draw a line in the sand at some point in your life and say, it's not going any further through me. It stops right here. And and again, I know, I know. Pastor, I have a little glass of wine every once in a while. Invite your children or your grandchildren. Hey, come on in here and join me. I'm having a little glass of wine before I go to bed because Paul said it's good for your stomach. I don't think that's what he was drinking not the kind that we drink, but I plead with you, think it through carefully, and just keep that image of the dynamite in your hand, because many of you, you know firsthand the hit of alcohol. You see, we should be awake. They should have been awakened to their sin. They should have gone to school on Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, they took censers and, and they built it, put, put a fire in it, and they put incense on it. And then God killed them. Why? Because they were offering unauthorized strange fire. When Moses said, Go get the, go get the censers and burn incense, he was giving them a test. You should know you can't do this. Now, I can make the application again. Think about people who've been killed by alcohol, families who've been racked, and then you pick up that drink and I think you'll take it, throw it on the floor, and stomp on the glass. God forbid. Surely I've got enough sense to recognize the insanity within this. You see, you see the account of Nadab and Abihu. They should have known. They should have known. Scriptural truth should bring conviction, right? Scriptural truth should bring conviction. What does conviction look like? It looks like I am wrong. I am sorry for what I have done, and I need to make it right. Now, conviction should bring godly sorrow, and godly sorrow should result in repentance. You see, next week we're going to look at Moses' sin. Moses was sinful and he didn't get to enter the promised land. So let's raise this question. Can a child of God sin? Can a child of God sin? Can a child of God sin and not suffer for it? I don't think so. Because if scripture is true, we read this in 1 Corinthians 31, 32. It says this, for if we would judge ourselves, stand in front of the mirror, Stand in front of the mirror and let conviction come from the Word of God. We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. In other words, when we get convicted, we should repent and be obedient to the Lord. I want to suggest you listen to a sermon. You can Google it and you can get it uh, and listen to it. It was preached by Adrian Rogers, I think, in 1978. and It is entitled, The High Cost of Low Living. Okay? You should, everybody in here should listen to it. You should. You, it's 46 minutes long. I've listened to it four times. The High Cost of Low Living by Adrian Rogers. It is an incredible sermon. And he says this in it. He looks at the people out there. He says, listen, right there where you're sitting, there are three people sitting there. He said, they're the people that you, there's the person that you are right now. And the person that you will be when you submit yourself fully to Jesus Christ. And then the person that you will be if you take your eyes off Christ. God forbid, I don't want to go there. I don't want to even be close to that. I've discovered in my life, and I've shared this with you before, that, that when, I, when we take trips, and, we, and Sheila, Sheila loves this, I, it drives me nuts. When we take convoy trips, and we're in three or four cars, it, it makes me an absolute nervous wreck. Because nobody follows the same way, all right? Nobody leads the same way. Because I'm always, if I'm up front, I'm watching the mirror. Where are they? 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 But here's how I here's how I like to follow. If I'm following you, I'm going to be on your bumper. So don't slam on the brakes. I don't want I don't want to get lost. Here's how I follow Jesus. I am so close to him that if he suddenly stops, I'm going to run into him, which is a good deal which is a real good deal. Now, here's something that I've come across that I've come to understand with this this week. And that is, this is amazing. Listen to this. The wages of sin is death. The wages of rebellion is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, plain plain out gospel. Here's what Jesus told us. We did a little of this last week, Michelle. He basically said four things. And this this will change your life. Jesus said, come to me. He said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, come to me. He then said, believe on me. Place your faith in me, the Son of God. This is eternal life that they may know God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Come to me. Believe on me. Follow me. Follow me. There is no way you can follow Jesus too close. You will never get ticketed by an authority for following Jesus too closely. And then the last, abide in me. Abide. Abide in me. I know a lot of people who in alcoholism or drugs, they come to Jesus Christ. And, and for some reason they felt like, okay, I came to him. I came to him. It's over. No, it's not. I came to him. It's came to him. I came to him and I believe in him and I'm following him and I'm abiding in him because I am desperately, desperately, desperately in need of Jesus to keep me safe from the biggest problem, which is me. Folks, I, I am my own biggest problem. I don't need your help unless you want to come up and tell me what to do. And then you'll help me realize what a sinner I am and what a fool I am and what a jerk I am. But I'm thankful when I get aggravated with authorities who are legitimately over me, whether it's an umpire, a referee, whether it's a police officer or whoever it is, because it points out to me, you have a problem. And the only way that you're going to deal with that problem is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and believe that Jesus Christ became sin for you so that, you, so that in Him, I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every second I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I will never get over needing Jesus. Some reason we've got this notion that eventually we'll get so super-duper spiritual that we've got it figured out and fixed it on our own. You can't fix. Stupid. Right? Right? can't be fixed, but he can. He's the only one who can. And if you don't know him today, it's time for you to come running to him to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord so that you can come to him, believe him, follow him, and abide in him. Every day, come to him, come to him, believe in him, follow him, abide in him. All the time, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I have pointed out to me every moment of every day what a rebellious, what a rebellious person I am. But my only hope is Jesus. See, a lot of times your marriage don't work because you've never dealt with your rebellion. You can't get your life straightened out because you haven't dealt with your rebellion. And the only way you can deal with your rebellion is to come to Jesus and be born again. Today, I want to invite you today to come to the altar, to come to Pastor Paul or myself and say today, I need to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I need him to be the Lord. You know, Lord means authority, means the boss, the one who knows how this is supposed to be done. And I'm going to follow him. But I'm going to ask also at the end of the service, at our prayer time, and you can do it now. I encourage you to do it now. That this week, this week, you will make a commitment to the Lord as best you can by His strength to reach out to one person every day. One person every day. Invite them to church. Talk to them about the relationship with God. Share your testimony. The other Friday, I was I was going through um, Kroger, and I'm just I mean, I was I was just whistling every Christmas song. I think up, and suddenly I, I, I this lady she stopped and she just stood there. She said, "I'm just enjoying listening to you whistle." I said, "Oh boy, do we have an opportunity now?" I said, "I love to whistle." And I love to whistle, those kinds of songs, particularly this time of year of celebrating of Jesus Christ and his birth. I said, do you have a church home? She goes, uh, no. And I don't know what the pause meant. I said, well, I would like to invite you to come join us next weekend. We're going to have Jesus and Christmas uh, on Sunday, Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock and Sunday evening at 6.30. And they're going to be doing this Christmas music. We'll be talking about Jesus uh, in, in, in the times of old and Jesus today. It'd be great to have you come. And join us. she said, I might come. You see, it does, that didn't take but about a minute to find a way just to bring up Jesus, bring up his church, bring up salvation, bring up what Christmas is truly all about. Will you say this week, I'm going to seek to reach one every day? Now, I want you to do Let's hit, Let's play mathematics for a moment. All right, here we go. You ready, William? Need your, help, need your help with this. 600 people a day at least in two services combined. 600 people. Half the people say, "I'm going to do it." 300 times seven. Real quick, William wants the answer. 2,100. All right, 2,100. 20, that's 2,100 touches. Let's say that 1% of them show up next weekend for worship. Do the math. How many would that be? 21. 21. What if we don't tell anybody? Hey, guess what? Let's do it. And let's believe that God wants to save the world. Now, here's the thing about that. One of those folks, one of those folks could be like Andrew. And Andrew went and told Peter. And Peter went and preached and 3,000 folks were saved on one day. Never underestimate the power of of a witness seeking to teach and share Jesus. So, would you do that today? Stand with me, please. Pastor Paul is going to be here with me at the front. Today, I would invite you to join Harps Crossing Baptist Church. If you've ever received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, or you need to today, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you've received Jesus Christ and need to follow him in believers' baptism, we'll take care of that. But we'd love to have you come and say, hey, this is where God wants me to be in church. Or maybe come to one of us and say, would you please have someone talk to me about what it means to be saved? This alters a place to kneel and pray. In a few moments, I'm going to invite all of you down for a time of prayer. Uh, but between now and then, the instruments are going to play for a couple of minutes. Pastor Steve will lead us in a time of worship response. Uh, and then we will have this gathering prayer time. And I invite you, folks. The things that I'm looking at right now and understand the most significant thing we can be doing is praying.